0: Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. for joining us on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. This month, our focus is on big data and data analytics. Our guest, Brian Misteley, the CEO and founder of Enrix, has been working in this area from before the time of Enrix's founding in 2004. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you. Glad to be here. I mentioned you were founded in 2004, and you've been working, obviously, on big data and data analytics from before that time when you were with Microsoft. But for those who may not be familiar with Enrix, hard to believe since it's so well known in the transportation industry, but there might be a few listeners that aren't familiar or perhaps aren't up to date on all the things that Enrix is doing. Why don't we start off with just a little bit of an explanation of what Enrix is and and some of the work that you're doing?
1: Sure. So uh, Inrix is a transportation data and analytics company. Most people are probably familiar with Inrix from way back when, when we pioneered this idea of crowdsourcing traffic data from GPS-based devices, which may sound obvious in 2021, but in 2004, it was completely a unique idea. But since then, we've expanded to a whole bunch of different areas. We provide automotive companies, we provide public sector agencies, as well as enterprise customers, everything from traffic information and parking information to safety signal information. So we really are focused focused on how do you deliver much better data, much better insights around the entire breadth of transportation problems.
0: Enrix, in some cases, is almost invisible to the consumer in terms of how the final product is delivered. Tell us about some of the companies that you work with and how you deliver that information, if you would.
1: Sure. So we are behind the scenes. We're a B2B company. Our customers include everybody from Google and Waze to Amazon, who uses it for fleet delivery and logistics. We have radio stations and TV stations that are using it across the entire country, as well as many public sector agencies. So uh, New York City, Pennsylvania, Texas, even San Francisco, Los Angeles. Hundreds of government agencies are using it either to help them plan how to do better roadway design or to manage real-time operations. So we are, like you said, kind of diversified across a broad variety of customer sets, but uh, most people will probably see our data or be impacted by our data every single day.
0: We hear the terms big data and data analytics quite a bit, but as transportation professionals, we don't always understand what those concepts or how those concepts apply to our work on a day-to-day basis. Can you explain for us, in your own words, how they're bringing value to the transportation industry, please?
1: So, big data was really coined to describe uh, technology that could be enabled through cloud computing and machine learning, which just means how do you manage massive amounts of data and turn it into useful insights? So, as we went from a world where traffic data was literally collected by people flying helicopters and looking out the window to a world where there's hundreds of millions of GPS sensors moving around in real time, there's sensors in roadways, there's cameras all over the place, how do you take all of this data and identify what's really happening in real time. Well, that requires a couple of things. It requires cloud computing or massive amounts of compute power and storage, and it requires machine learning, meaning artificial intelligence that can analyze everything going on and be able to ferret out where the exceptions are, where there's trends, and what's really happening. So, big data, like I said, it's just a, a word for meaning a massive amounts of data collected by these sensors that are all over the cities now, and what you can do to turn that into real information.
0: As I mentioned in the opening, INRIX was founded in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. And Mm -hmm. that means you've been at this for quite a while. How has the data landscape evolved in terms of availability, accuracy, and utility? And I should mention maybe just as a, a little personal aside, I was doing traffic reporting in New York City starting back in 1979, and then we were relying on CB radios and, as you mentioned, uh, helicopters, people with binoculars on top of the World Trade Center and the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. It's certainly a much different world from what I was working with back in the late 70s.
1: It's interesting because unless you're in this space, I don't think you really appreciate just how much has changed. When we started in 2004, we were running around trying to raise money from venture capitalists, and we were told Westwood One, which was the 800-pound gorilla in the Twitter space, already dominated the space and there was no room for innovation. Well, Westwood One was flying helicopters, and what's interesting is they don't exist anymore. Nobody's flying helicopters, right? This is all now aggregated through vehicles and mobile devices that are moving around. And to put this in perspective. When we started InRix, there was no iPhone, there was no iPad, there was no Tesla, there was no such thing as a connected car or a smartphone we were really at that very early edge of how do you basically look at improving this information through collecting data? And as a result, today you kind of saw the evolution from helicopters to putting pneumatic tubes across the road, trying to count cars to today, obviously everything is done through mobile devices and cars that are moving around. So we're seeing this complete sea change based on obviously the availability of this data and to put it in perspective, from just the last 10 years, just the last 10 years, we've had a more than 100 fold increase in the amount of data that we've been able to collect. And that, of course, leads to more accuracy, better coverage, not just on freeways, but on arterials and side streets as well. So think of this as digital sim city for those of you who are video game <laughs> uh, players. It's all about making that simulated version of a city and understanding what's going on within it.
0: Well, you talk certainly about how things have evolved from. 2004, but it's so rapidly evolving. What are some of the newest and most cutting edge advancements in big data analytics that Inrix is currently taking advantage of? And how does this vary from how information was processed and utilized in the past?
1: Well, sure. So when we started, we focused on traffic. And then about uh, 10 years ago, we started focusing on parking and digital parking information. The latest innovations are around uh, two things, signals and safeties. So if you look at traffic signals, there's an enormous amount of money that's put into trying to figure out how to time traffic signals. In most cases, it's done manually, where studies or consultants are done to try and retime traffic signals to optimize the flow across a city road. Well, today, because of the density of information. You can now do things like figure out percent on green and approach speeds and control delays based on all the data that's available. You don't have to send anyone out to the signal anymore. You don't have to have hardware. This can all be done through big data. And this is really a fairly new phenomenon enabled by just the quantity of data that's now available in the market. So that's a key area for innovation and it can very easily improve overall congestion and throughput through cities. The second piece is around safety. There's been a lot of talk around Vision Zero and how do we reduce traffic fatalities and things like that. And cities have collected information around roadway deaths. But what they don't have is information around accidents. And what they don't have is the cause for many of these things. So what you can do now with big data is you can look at roadways and not just fatalities, not just pedestrian accidents, but also look at collisions, and then using artificial intelligence, identify the patterns. So you can identify and say, this road is unsafe because of the roadway design, or because of the signage, or because You know, ice tends to build up on this road causing different types of accidents. So there's a bunch of different reasons that a certain area could be unsafe, and you can now use this big data and analytics to figure out what's causing the safety issues as opposed to trying to guess.
0: I think one of the things that people had a concern about, and I guess still to some extent have a concern about when it comes to data, is privacy. How does that get addressed and how do you assure people that the data that you're collecting is not marking them personally and tracking where they're going?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Bernie, because I think there's been a lot of misinformation about it. So from day one, NREX has always focused on collecting anonymous information. I don't need to know the user's phone number. I don't need to know what kind of card they're in. I don't need to know their name. All we need to know is there's a vehicle on a road going a certain speed at a certain time. And then we take all that data and we aggregate it. So we never provide raw data or individually identifiable data to anyone. It's always aggregated to produce traffic data or we collect data to produce parking information, those type of things. And what's interesting is you've seen certainly over the last couple of years, certainly in Europe with the GDPR laws, in California, with the California Consumer Protection Act, and even most recently today, there was an announcement that Google is going to be removing advertising ID and third-party trackers from their browser. I think what you're seeing now is a real focus on privacy. People want their privacy protected. They don't want to be tracked. But certainly if people are given the option of, do you want real-time traffic information in exchange for anonymous data potentially being collected? Most people are willing to say, okay, if I can get better quality information and reduce my commute times, that may be a trade-off they're willing to make. And they can opt in for location services as part of whatever device or whatever phone application that they're
0: using. I remember when I was looking at some of these applications in the early days of when they were gathering data they would have information that would color code maps, but would primarily be restricted to major highways. And now we've gotten down to the point where even secondary or tertiary roads are getting data collected on them. How has the density of data improved over time so that you can get reliable information on some of these roads that don't appear to have that much traffic on them in the first place?
1: Well, sure, that's really the key. When we started in 2004, there were no GPS-enabled devices. So we started working with commercial fleets, to get data from taxi cabs and delivery vehicles, so we had in in some cities we were measuring by the hundreds and the thousands of vehicles that we had in a city. Today we have over six hundred million vehicles and devices that we pull data from, for the most part on a real time basis. So you can now get data on the secondary and tertiary roads just because of the density. Put this in perspective. I think we're somewhere around seventeen percent of every vehicle on a road we're able to see and collect data from and use that produce uh, traffic data. So again, the more data you have, the broader the the road coverage is that you can provide. And more importantly, the more accurate the data can be, because you can detect things like backups or dangerous slowdowns or accidents much more quicker than what you could do when you only had a hundred or a thousand vehicles running around a city.
0: You talked about all the countries that INRIX is currently working in. Do you find that the data varies in terms of quality or density from nation to nation, or is it pretty much consistent across the globe where you're working?
1: Well, that's a great question. We're in 88 countries today, and certainly the density of information does vary widely by country. You know, we typically start out when we go into a market working with commercial fleet operators because they own the vehicles, there's no privacy issues, and they're on the road 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, as opposed to a consumer, which may only be on the road for half an hour or an hour a day. And then we ultimately build up by getting more and more mobile data and things like that. Uh, But you're absolutely right. Some countries like the United States are very well penetrated in terms of the density of information we're able to get. Other markets, specifically Russia, China, and markets in Southeast Asia, much more difficult to get the level of density that we need to produce super high quality data. So in those markets, you may only have data on major roads, the major freeways. And then over time, as you get more and more information, you can provide data on secondary and tertiary road classes.
0: One of the things, obviously, that happens as you've been around longer and longer is that you have more and more historical data that you can rely on. How important is that to give the consumer an idea of what they can expect I'm always amazed when I plug in on a, a navigation system where I'm going to it may be hundreds of miles away and how close to exact it is in terms of telling me what my expected arrival time is and how that compares with the real arrival time. So that historic data, how does that play a role?
1: was the historical data is critical. Since the day we started, we've never thrown away one data point that we've collected. And it's because it's useful looking at planning applications if you want to see how a roadway is evolving over time and things like that. But for the consumer, now in this world we live in with machine learning and artificial intelligence, you can have algorithms that kind of look at different situations to give you the context you need. So if I'm driving and it's a three-hour drive, you don't just want to calculate what the current roadway conditions are. because If I start a commute, say, at four in the afternoon, well, the traffic will get worse along the way. Right. So what you do is you build these algorithms looking at all the data, including things like weather conditions, sporting events and concerts, as well as historical patterns to really understand that ETA. Right. I know that that ETA will be lengthened because there's a a baseball game that's going to get out along the way in an hour or I know that it's you know raining out, so traffic is going to be running slower than normal. So all these variables feed together in these machine learning algorithms to produce a much more accurate ETA than what we had even five or 10 years ago.
0: You talked about some of the clients that Enrix works with. You've mentioned, obviously, private sector companies, but you also mentioned that you work with public sector organizations. They are both data consumers and data providers as far as INRIX is concerned. How does INRIX collaborate with public sector agencies to maximize the utility of available information?
1: Well sure, so uh, they do collect a broad variety of data and our mantra is more data is always better. What we found though with say location data, GPS data, speed data for traffic The private sector now has far more data than what was ever available from, say, public sector road sensors. So we don't use public sector sensors for speed anymore. And and I don't think anyone in the private sector really does. Where public sector is now collecting data that's of interest in the private sector is around things like camera data cameras now uh, obviously positioned around cities, more and more on top of traffic signals to basically look at oncoming traffic. Well, that wasn't terribly interesting until you can now use optical recognition to understand and turn that into digital information. So I can take a camera that's sitting on top of a traffic signal that's just looking at vehicles, and then I can apply an algorithm that can measure and count the number of vehicles and produce raw data around traffic volumes. Uh, Same thing's true with parking meter data. We're pulling data from parking meters from a variety of cities, looking at on-street availability so that we can produce much better information to guide consumers to where there may be available on-street parking based on when somebody paid a meter and when the meter has has expired. And even if we have real-time sensors, that's incorporated in as well. And then finally on signals, the more data we can get from traffic signals, especially real-time data the more that data can be used to factor into algorithms. Uh, An example here is if you're trying to drive across the city like say Los Angeles, the ETA in your nav system can be wildly different depending upon how many red lights you hit versus how many times you're expected to hit a green light. So understanding the traffic cycles, understanding what the real-time cycle speeds are from signals, especially as more and more become dynamic, that data for us is crucial from public sector agencies. So there is a lot of information that we can collect that can improve the overall navigation and consumer experience.
0: I'm curious, obviously, a lot of what we're talking about involves fleet vehicles, private vehicles, but do you work with transit agencies at all, either those that are rubber-tired or those that are on rails? Enrix
1: doesn't work directly with transit agencies. We have several partners that take our data and integrate it with other data that then is sold to transit agencies. And likewise, data and applications that are coming from transit agencies are aggregated by folks like MoveIt and others that can then be used by data suppliers like us. So we've traditionally focused primarily on departments of transportation and planning organizations around roadways. Traditionally, we haven't done much with trains or transit, but certainly over time, that becomes more and more crucial because you want to give people a better view of their overall options across different modes. And so I think over time, we'll do more and more with that.
0: And we were talking before about historical data and and obviously how that can change based on weather conditions and and a variety of different factors. But I'm curious in terms of data about construction information, how that Mm -hmm. affects things. Do you get information as to, well, the right lane is going to be closed on this roadway overnight or some such thing. Or even when it comes to crashes, do you get details that not only is the right lane blocked by a collision, but this is going to be maybe a more longer term incident because there is hazardous materials involved, let's say. So that kind of information that maybe colors it a little bit more than than just the raw data might provide.
1: No, exactly. Uh, in fact, our, the largest team at NRIX is aggregating that type of incident data. It tends to be fairly manual intensive. Uh, we have over 150 folks that basically are looking at individual cities and individual regions and aggregating that kind of data. It's not enough to get a feed from a DOT because often when they say construction will be from nine to five, guess what? It doesn't start until 930 when the people are on the job and maybe they leave early, right? Or they they work late or something. So that data typically isn't terribly accurate. So we take a combination of DOT data, we take information from police scanners and things like that. We get data from private sector agencies, folks like automotive clubs that collect data when there's an accident and you call in and say I need a tow truck. That data is collected. But then we also collect data from Twitter feed. There's certain Twitter hashtags and handles for different roadways in different cities. We monitor those as well. So we actually have people assigned to individual cities looking across these different data sources, so they can be able Able to identify and say, we know that there's a protest going on right now. For instance, last night in Tacoma, near where we are, there was an Antifa protest. And that's not something that would show up on a regular DOT feed. That's something that you have to collect manually by monitoring news feeds and Twitter and police scanners and things like that. So that's very manual intensive, but it turns out to be some of the most valuable information we collect.
0: Well, it certainly sounds fascinating. Uh, I, you know, I've been following INRIX from uh, near your founding uh, and seeing some of the things that have evolved with it and and just hearing how you're doing some of this is is certainly a fascinating story. Our guest on this edition of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast has been Brian Mistely, the CEO and founder of INRIX. Brian, thanks so much for taking time out to chat with us today.
1: Great. Thank you for having me, Bernie.